Thank you. Okay, I'll just uh, dive right in. Um, so, the contemporary moment is one of flux. It is a continual oscillation between identifying itself as a period of reconstruction after postmodernism and existing as an homage to the reminiscent fragmentation of modernist identity. Postmodernist discourse is becoming increasingly unhelpful as a tool for literary criticism. Unable to produce cultural readings of contemporary fiction that no longer seek to collapse the binaries which modernist works underlined, it cannot wholly interpret the world in which we now live. I do not wish to state that postmodernism is no longer a viable critical lens, but rather it cannot account for the turn towards authenticity that dominates current literature. Ian McEwan's Atonement, Jeanette Winterson's Daylight Gate, and Tom McCarthy's Remainder are fictional works that seek to rewrite the past in its most authentic form, a form that surpasses the nostalgia of modernist identity and the relativistic nature of postmodernist characterization. These contemporary pieces of fiction seek to recalibrate the ontological distinction between the authentic and the inauthentic, and it is during this process when the larger context of cultural anxiety is revealed. Some critics are interested in diagnosing the contemporary period, such as Geoffrey Neelan, who states that his task is to prescribe a new vocabulary to explain globalization's new economies. Others consider the pejorative ethics of postmodernism, critiquing what started as emancipation and instead became annihilation. Josh Toth argues that postmodernism begins to pass at the moment when, in its attempt to repudiate past hegemonic discourses, it becomes both dominant and restrictive. That is, when it becomes impossible to ignore its own spectral contamination. The contamination which Toth refers to is the Derridian notion of incomplete deferred meaning. The gulf left behind when language was stripped of representative truth has become claustrophobic and contemporary fiction is rebuilding the chasm. Neilon and Toth, whilst focusing on different elements of the contemporary, has something in common. They both seek to recenter, recalibrate, and reorient literary criticism towards something more hopeful. To successfully analyze contemporary fiction, we must refocus our attention on authenticity, collective social notions of the authentic, rather than isolated individualism. Postmodernism's affair with individual subjective experience is still relevant in revealing microcosms of larger cultural issues. However, we must strive towards commenting on social authenticity. The Heideggerian notion of Dasein is unavoidably social, and thus a useful lens in which to view the metamodern conflict of self, a self that exists within anxious times, yet is hopeful of mindful social authenticity. As Heidegger states, anxiety brings Dasein face to face with its being free for the authenticity of its being. And for this authenticity, as a possibility which it always is. Peter Boxall is reticent in labelling the contemporary as metamodernist and favours the term post-postmodernism, as he states that this moment now is woven, it seems, from a different fabric and holds a different elasticity. Precisely what is meant by that term elasticity is something I wish to explore today through a Heideggerian reading of Anxiety and Shame within Tom McCarthy's novel Remainder, published in 2005. Remainder is a first-person narrative, following an unnamed narrator as he is injured in a mysterious accident 
and receives a settlement of eight and a half million pounds. He's not able to discuss the nature of the accident, and thus the authenticity of the entire novel is called into question as the construction of the text remains elusively within the realms of the settlement. The settlement, that word settlement, it wormed its way into my coma. Weeks later, after I'd emerged from the coma, come off the drip feed and put onto mushy solids, I'd think of the word middle bit, the L, each time I tried to swallow. The settlement made me gag before it gagged me, that's for sure. The nebulous, unspeakable quality of the contract is thus the first indicator of the elastic tension between shamelessness and shame, and inauthenticity and authenticity within the novel. The novel is written within the confines of this mysterious pact, following rules that have been agreed upon by fictional law, mimicking societal rules which inhabit truth in an attempt to control shame. The reader understands the rules of the contract, and partakes in the ostling nature of the settlement, something both generous and limiting. We are bystanders in the traumatic aftereffect of the accident. As the settlement constructs the limits of the text, it presents the first indicator of the metamodern sensibility, a newly constructed series of limitations that is both generous and yet still belongs to the rigorous self-improvement of postmodern subjectivity. The settlement flexes and strains within the text as the narrator seeks to push against it, willing to tell the reader the truth of the accident, yet silenced by its claws. The obscene generosity of the settlement is an attempt to control the enlightened response to the accident which shame would provoke. McCarthy's novel is fundamentally about the instructive guidance that is driven by shame, but is demarcated for a plot which prevents shame from being fully realised. The settlement is a placation, an attempt to seduce the narrator with money and a shameless lack of purpose. It is, on the surface, a generous compensation for the narrator's experience, yet it is completely lacking in satisfaction. The silencing clause disallows any catharsis which the protagonist might feel. The enforced secrecy reiterates the dissatisfaction of the settlement, instilling a sedation that orients the narrator away from shame towards shameless ignorance. Adam Phillips argues that the language's satisfaction is notably impoverished, riddled with clichés and exclamations. And this is reiterated through Daubney's claim that it's an unprecedented sum well done. The initial attempt at cliché satisfaction is there, but it's not realised as the narrator retorts, I didn't earn it. Satisfaction then always occurs twice, within the mind and then in reality. However, the narrator cuts his process short with his comment on words, severing the short-lived attempt at contentment. The settlement thus morphs into a beacon of inauthenticity a prescription for shameless and alienating behaviour in the face of trauma. As the limits of the settlement become the limits of the text itself, it becomes clear that the text will oscillate between shamelessness and shame, highlighting Huber and Sita's argument that in its depiction of a quest for ultimate authentic being, Remainder progresses beyond a mere recovery of personal history and identity. Remainder, then, is a novel about the motivating aspect of shame, which is able to provoke action outside of the shameless mode of everydayness and the confines of compensation within the capitalist arena. The defining moment in the novel is when the narrator, whilst at a party, witnesses a seemingly innocuous crack in the wall of the flat, which seems to grow alongside his sense of deja vu. This extra room seems to have just popped up beside it like the half had in my settlement. Offset and extra. Then it happened, the event that, the accident aside, was the most significant of my whole life. The room sparks a memory of a flat in which he had previously resided, or maybe imagined. 
a paradoxically banal utopia which provokes an immediate sense of self-awareness. I remembered it all, but I couldn't remember where I'd been in this place, this flat, this bathroom, or when, and yet it was growing minute by minute as I stood there in the bathroom, this remembered building spreading outwards from the crack. The crack presents a fundamental understanding of trauma as something fracturing and explosive, with an epicenter that breaches out, engulfing the surrounding environment. Luckhurst, Roger Luckhurst, coined the term trauma not, in which he argues that trauma is a breaching of disciplines. Trauma studies is an interdisciplinary mode wherein Heidegger's phenomenology has been introduced as a lens in which to view the temporal understanding of trauma. The crack thus presents the recalibration of Darzai's experience of being in the world in relation to trauma. The reaching out of the crack replicates Darzai's understanding as always being ahead of itself, projecting onto the future. Darzai is always intentionally striving for something. The presence of the room as something offset, extra, is the alongside nature of Darzai. Like the settlement, we are already thrown into a set of conceived cultural ideas that define and restrict our orientation within the world. The epicenter of the crack itself, the heart of trauma, represents the shattering effect of traumatic anxiety, which interrupts the immediate mode of already in, the fallenness of the everyday. Future, past and the present are all irrevocably intertwined and replicated in the structure of the crack. The crack in the wall thus represents the corruption nature of deferred trauma, as the protagonist's life has been splintered by a remarkable event, which is to remain anonymous to both himself and the reader, presenting an endless state of deferral. If shamelessness is presented as a state of fallenness, it thereby stands that through observing the crack, the narrator is aware of his withdrawn, alienated state, and is brought round to a more awakened self-existence through the experience of anxiety. The cracked aesthetic is emblematic of anxiety as something peeled away, a subterranean system of frantic offshoots joined by erratic, tentative connections. McCarthy's narrator is startled and states, right then I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my money. I wanted to reconstruct that space and enter it so that I could feel real again. I wanted to, I had to, I would, nothing else mattered. The staccato sentences signify a reorientation of self towards the authentic, a reclaiming of shame and reinterpretation of trauma. The crack provides an ontological fracture of self, when the narrator's attempt to flee in the face of shame is reoriented through anxiety as he becomes aware of his own most being in the world. As the settlement is defined the idle everydayness of the narrator's existence, the crack in the apartment and the preceding determination actualizes Heidegger's notion of turning away from fallenness, which he states, the turning away of falling is grounded rather in anxiety, which in turn is what makes fear possible. Cracking the wall, I argue, thus signifies the instructive nature of shame as it reorients the narrator towards reclaiming his life amid the detritus of trauma. Shame presents itself as a fracturing emotion, which reiterates its similarity to Heideggerian anxiety as it individualizes Dasein for its almost being in the world, which is something that understands projects itself essentially upon possibilities. By witnessing the crack in the wall, the house falls away in front of the narrator and he is caught face to face with his shameless behaviour. The everyday model of falling, which is so deeply entrenched in simulating inauthentic existence. It is during this observation that temporality adopts a buffering motion, caught in a cycle of continually refreshing a memory that refuses to fully de develop. It is this buffering, I posit, that becomes the fuel for the instructive power of shame, as it pauses mindless behaviour and forces the character to reflect and reorient their understanding of being in the world. The recalibrating nature of a temporality affected by shame 
emphasizes the structure of metamodern feeling as something characterized by an oscillating in-betweenness, or rather, a dialectical movement that identifies with and negates and hence overcomes and undermines conflicting positions. McCarthy's narrator is thus faced with a refracted rather than reflected understanding of his trauma, as it can never be fully understood due to the silencing clause of the settlement. The disclosing of the world through buffering temporality allows a sense of guidance which reveals our ontological standpoint within a society that prevents such introspection. Shame and shamelessness become part of a continuum that is slowed down during moments of phenomenologically explored shame, revealing a mode of affect that resists epistemological specificity and rebelliously critiques a turn towards authenticity. Shame enables live time to slow down as it provokes a kind of opening, a gap or crack, through which a more enlivening form of translation might become possible. McCarthy's protagonist is enlivened as he leaves the party and makes preparations to rebuild the apartment of his imagination, alive in all its flaws. The spark of intention that directly follows this moment of anxiety emphasises Hinton and Willemson's argument that embracing shame and temporality opens the way toward becoming that clod of earth, that vulnerable, singular entity that we are. Vulnerability is the mode of discovery and possibility which Heidegger considers to be the fundamental state of anxiety or angst, as it enables change. The awakening effect of anxiety through witnessing the crack provides a literalised example of uncanniness. The narrator observes something familiar yet subversive and feels not at home. Resolved to live a more authentic existence, the narrator begins to reconstruct the house in which he experiences the fracture as a way of reclaiming his trauma and extending accepted notions of shame and shamelessness. The quest for authenticity is not entirely successful as the narrator shuns the realisation that the self, or Dasein, is fundamentally social. Robert Stollero states that in trauma, a potential dimension of authenticity is forced upon the traumatised person and the accompanying anxiety can be unendurable. In remainder, the protagonist ignores the elasticity between shame and anxiety upon which the quest for authenticity truly depends and shuns the necessary retreats to the inauthentic. The narrator is ultimately driven to points of insanity as he does not mediate authentic self-awareness with periods of mindless coping in the aftermath of trauma. Bracken argues that the opening up of a world is never an individual act, and remainder reads as a meditation on whether the self can successfully reorient towards authenticity as an isolated bystander. As the narrator becomes aware of the fallen, inauthentic nature of his existence, he resolves to reconstruct a block of flats in which actors would repetitively perform routine tasks that he would oversee. These tasks range from the mundanity of cooking, emptying bins, to poorly playing the piano. In the day he'd practice, pausing when he made mistakes, running over the same passages again and again, slowing right down into the bits that he'd got wrong. Through overseeing these tasks, he reclaims his previous mindless existence and reinserts them into a building, unsurprisingly made of glass in the classic modernist style, of his control. The actions which he asks the actors to perform are snippets from everydayness. However, they are subverted with the reflexive knowledge of their uselessness. The pianist, for example, is continually playing mistakes, and the elderly lady consistently burns the liver she is cooking. The space between mindless habit and purposeful activity gets sharpened by their mistakes. The temporal gap between everyday habit and intended creativity is the most intriguing simulacrum in a novel filled with simulations. The incorrect nature of banal tasks 
bears slightly towards creative breakthrough, only to be refracted back onto itself under the surveillance of the glass house and the direction of the narrator or the architect. These actions emphasise the buffering nature of temporality as something refractive of a lived sense of time. Weighted down by an incomplete coordination with the surrounding world, the memory of how to present itself is loading, yet the image is not synchronising itself in time, thus posi positioning the actors at an obscure angle within the world. The repetitive failure of enacting the task is representative of the phenomenological response to shame, in that it reveals a particular rhythm. Susan Miller states that the only rhythmic element of shame that she can identify is the characteristic experience of shrinking away from others and pulling inward and downward. This is indeed true as it represents the isolating nature of shame. The actors never meet or interact and are secluded to their own glass microcosms. The pianist crouches over his piano, continually playing the wrong notes, and the elderly lady hunches over her cooking, emphasising the shrinking into oneself as shame. The apartment, in all its defected rhythm, becomes a museum of shame. The actors continually reenact their shameful choreography, ensuring that each movement becomes sharpened by mistakes. The protagonist stumbles over how to describe his staff, stating, All the performers, no, not the performers, that's not the right word, the participants, the staff must be, I mean, will need complete jurisdiction all over the place. The fragmented sentence represents his fractured hold on temporality as he searches for the correct words, whilst the motions themselves are buffering and loading. The actors and their roles are indicative of a larger problem within society, mindless, inauthentic existence, which Heidegger blames for cultural inefficiency. Whether or not this view points towards an ethical topology, there is merit in noting that the inauthentic state of everydayness denies Dasein from achieving self-mastery. This refusal to achieve greatness is precisely the space that McCarthy's narrator wants to explore, as he condemns his actors to recreate failure. The burnt liver, the incorrect playing of the piano, are all indicators of failed attempts at creating something worthwhile or authentic. Jamnick's most blatant definition is a fracturing moment of humiliation in which the embodied self is suddenly aware that its actions are being appraised by others. The apartment thus becomes an homage to shame, without fully becoming shameful, as the mistakes are purposeful and thus part of the inauthentic everydayness that directs them. It is the simulacrum of shame which appears shameless, however I believe that the dual understanding of the actions and their dissemination within a choreographed setting reveal the sense of shame that the narrator feels towards his life before the accident. Little is known about the protagonist's life before he is awarded the settlement, apart from unsatisfactory relationships, which he now considers banal. Phillips argues that your project, so to speak, is to fit in with what the other wants you to be, and what you imagine they want you to be but there are aspects of yourself that are always threatening to break the bonds you need. McCarthy's narrator realises that his life has been a wasted opportunity and reorients the shame of this into building something authentic, which to him is a museum of failed accomplishments. Shame in the novel, this exists on an elastic continuum alongside shamelessness. As the fallen nature of everydayness prevents anxiety, so, do, so too does the silencing of the settlement. McCarthy's narrator is presented with his own uncanny experience of reclaiming his trauma through coming face to face with the crack in the wall, a conspicuous portrayal of fracture that connects his protagonist to the modernist creations of Kafka and Wolf. Through reconstruction, the narrator reclaims his existence and utilises his anxiety. McCarthy's novel thus swings between shameful anxiety and shamelessness and remains both earnest and ironically self-reflexive throughout emphasising the in-betweenness of metamodern stylistics. And 
Andreas Elpidouris, 2013 journal article on the relevance of Heidegger's Befindlichkeit in terms of contemporary analysis of emotions, argues that appraisals are necessary for emotions to be interpreted, and this is reflected in the threefold revelatory function of moods as both are indicative of the fact that our projects interested, and indeed our existence as such, are in a fundamental sense worldly. The emotional research behind shame would therefore re reiterate the Heideggerian response, it discloses which things matter to us. McCarthy's narrator suffers an accident from which he awakens in the falling state of ignorance and inauthenticity. Anxiety causes him to reawaken towards authentic living, in which he creates a museum of society's mindless everydayness. The novel exists between shame and shamelessness, with the microcosm of each actor's compartment revealing a larger cultural framework. To conclude, by reading metamodern fiction in this way through Heideggerian ontology, we are able to analyse the impact of the prolific nature of literary shame and isolate post-postmodernism as maybe a period in which shame is a primordial framework of protagonists. Thank you.